You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about movie composers and soundtracks. For just a little bit of an update on my end, things are still about the same as they have been, still employed, still weathering coronavirus. Uh, Schools are opening here, which is going to be a little bit of a challenge, and so... That's about what's going on on my end. Thankfully, you know, nothing too huge has come up. I've been watching Stargirl with my wife. So that's a new show that we're taking on to our plates. We just saw the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was a bit of a sad thing for us. I'm reading a book on video game history right now, which I'm really enjoying, which uh, is by Alex Smith, who was on the podcast not too long ago. Finally getting around to reading his book, just because I had so many other things in front of it that I needed to read, but I'd been sort of chomping at the bit to get at that. So that was a lot of fun, getting to that and, and starting to read it. And so, yeah, this one today is an episode that I have wanted to do for a while. We recorded it a few months back before all the COVID-19 stuff happened, but not too long before that, at the end of 2019, basically. And it's just been all this time waiting to be able to edit it together because I knew this one was going to take some more work. And thankfully, Ben has been such a help that this is one that we can finally put out now. So... Without further ado, here's the podcast already in progress. We're going to re-record something we already thought we were recording and it didn't go through. And I'm going to introduce James, the guy that's always going to drink in his hand and talks about video games. So, James, how are you doing? (laughs) Doing great. (laughs) So, James, Uh, why don't you uh, tell everybody again about what you're drinking? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, again, for those of you who didn't hear it the first time... um, Uh, Everyone but those of us on this call right now. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's a it's a whiskey actually that I was kind of inspired to look into more of their brands from a friend of mine who had gone out to Tennessee and experienced uh, one of their it's I, I think it's probably just their uh, normal whiskey but the manufacturer is Basil Hayden's and so uh, what I got is called a two by two rye so it's a rye whiskey uh, but it is uh, it's it's blended so it's blended with uh, straight bourbon whiskeys. And uh, as it says here, it's uh, based on the original high rye bourbon recipe they use, but they doubled down on a blend of two rye and two bourbon whiskeys. So uh, it has an uncommonly smooth and slightly sweet profile. It's pretty good. Um, Yeah, I like it a lot. it's it, it's not like sweet, like sugary sweet, um, which I think is something people who drink whiskey typically mistake is you, anytime you hear sweet and liquor, you're like, oh, so it's like a cosmopolitan in alcohol. And you're like, no, not at all. This is still just whiskey. Hey, don't don't badmouth cosmopolitans. 
I've I've enjoyed one or two on occasion as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So uh, James, it's always great to have another uh, you know lecture from you about some whiskey. Um, but uh, anything uh, new and exciting going on for you? Uh, not too much. Uh, it's been a slow summer season for video games, of course, as it always is. It's I always call it the summer of video game drought because um, there's just nothing new that really comes out, or what does come out is pretty uninspiring. Uh, but I've been playing a lot of Borderlands Three. Uh, it's a fun game. Uh, it's got some graphical issues that uh, 2K and Gearbox are still trying to like iron out, which you'd think for a AAA uh, title <laughs> for a big manufacturer like that for these things, they would have gotten that done before they released it but eh, clearly not that's not the world we live in for video games unfortunately <laughs> now it's just is it mildly playable release it okay we'll just like patch yeah, it later yeah. and, you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's me and my friends talk about it's like basically we live in an environment now where you buy the beta version of a game and then eventually it'll get good enough to be the full version. And by that time, you'll probably either hate it or you will have stuck around long enough to be just enthralled with it. Uh, but yeah, lots of new games coming out over the course of the uh, the winter here. So next month, actually, uh, Jedi Fallen Order from EA is coming out. And that's a game I'm super excited about because uh, no microtransactions, no, no multiplayer. It's just a single player linear storyline, um, which I think they really need because uh, Star Wars games have not had a... Uh, a great track record over the last like 10 years so are you playing this goose game that i'm hearing everybody talk about you know i kind of want to uh <laughs> because it's one of these games like i i heard because i looked into it and uh-huh. um the biggest thing is like i think what's attracting people is they're like so it's a game where you play a goose and i was like okay and they're just like and then you're just a jerk to everybody <laughs> as a goose and i went wait give me more and so they're like yeah no you just like steal things or harass people or whatever and that's all you do is a goose and yeah i love that this like little indie title that was made by like a handful of people a very small like development team and like it's just taking the world by storm so much that so that it like hit national news (laughs) so i was like this is the best I remember when that goat simulator thing was uh, was all the rage. <laughs> I actually played that a couple of times. Yeah, sometimes it's the simplest concepts that <laughs> give the best results. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back on the show, James. Good to be back on. All right, next up, she is a huge Star Wars fan. She is a cosplayer, and she was amazing and hung out with me at Dragon Con for a while. And that is my buddy, Juliet. How are you doing, Juliet? I am, at this very moment, feeling so much better about the weekend. Okay. <laughs> it's being on the show, isn't it? It really is. It is hearing your dulcet tones right oh, now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been going on? Um, a lot of knitting. I have discovered the joys of knitting scale mail and making all the scale mail things now. Mm-hmm. Um Pretty much, I think that's it. Work has consumed all of my life, so I haven't had time to play video games. The last time I logged into Warcraft was uh, to do the tribute uh, to Aaron Eisenberg because he was a huge WoW player. So his son uh, was, we were doing a live stream of uh, everybody gathered up at a location in Warcraft, and he was telling stories about his dad, and it was really sad and pretty. So, yeah, no, I've seen the pictures of the scale mail that you've made. It uh, It looks awesome. 
Thank you. You're welcome. And I totally hear you on the work getting you down because I'm in that situation right now, too. So uh, it's good that we can get together on the weekends and uh, and do something not related to work. It is really enjoyable. I have, however, at least been able to watch several movies lately because I come mm. home and I just flop on the couch with no energy and watch movies. That's cool. Anything yeah. anything uh, uh, that you want to share? I Well, not movie-wise, but I have... Okay made it almost all the way through warehouse 13 I've, mm. i hadn't watched it until recently and i'm mostly through the okay i'm, I'm part way through the first disc of the fifth season i watched rocket man recently um and the new spider-man uh far from home finally watched it oh okay yeah what do you think of far from home i actually really liked it it was it was pretty darn good i i look forward to now that we know that there's going to be more Tom Holland and <laughs> right. Spider-Man, I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I do the same thing sometimes, though, because uh, there's a lot of shows that I missed, you know, over the years for various reasons. And uh, just recently finished uh, Binging Fringe. Oh, wow. I haven't gotten to that one yet. Mm. That was one of the ones that came, like, highly recommended from a lot of people, so it was on my list. You know, I did Farscape a few years ago, you know, just trying to work my way through all the things that it's like oh yeah like everyone else has seen this why haven't you kind of thing so i am in the same boat i still haven't seen farscape either despite having several friends that are huge fans yep yep so all right cool deal well i am glad that you were able to make some time to be on the show today i'm glad to be here and finally making her once per year appearance on the show (laughs) hey no this is actually Second. I know. I, I know. I, I realized as soon as I said, I was like, oh, no, this year, this year, this is your second, actually. But yeah, that's, that's my, that's the sister that uh, I never, <laughs> that I never had. And that is Rachel. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. And, uh, so yeah, why don't you update us? It's been a while. Yeah. Even if it hasn't been a year. So how are pretty- you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm uh I can commiserate with you guys. Work's just been kind of crazy lately, so it's just like um you know, like the hours I'm working aren't so much worse, but like it's a lot of things being like kind of piling on, so it's like I'm not having to stay late, but like well, I'm not always having to stay late, but like basically by the time I'm done, I'm just a like, completely mentally wiped. So, um this is the busy time of year for us and then um so i'm like not like i'm in the habit of wishing time away but i am kind of looking forward to january which is when things die for a couple of months so um that'll be nice um but aside from work being work um i've recently gotten into kayaking which has been really fun to like actually go outside and get <laughs> some get some sun exposure. Uh-huh. Um, other than that, like not a whole lot of exciting things going on. Um, my life has been completely consumed by a free-to-play mobile game called Fate Grand Order, mm. which is based on like like uh, the Fate Stay Night anime series. 
And um, it, it actually kind of infuriates me because I hate free-to-play games. I never play them. Mm. And here I am, just completely obsessed. Like, for instance, the majority of my Sunday was taken up, like, lazing around, being a bum, playing fake Grand Order. <laughs> so, I, but I am proud of myself because I have not spent any money on this game yet, and I intend to keep it that way. So I've not fallen down that rabbit hole yet. <laughs> stay strong, Rachel. <laughs> I'm going to stay strong. But yeah, it's I. Uh, it, it's been a while since I've played games in general. And I'm just mm. like, oh, this is why I've stopped playing games is because this is what happens. I get obsessed and then nothing else happens. So, yeah. you know. No, I, I completely understand. Back when I was, you know a much younger person played a lot of games like you know there were the times it was like oh i didn't sleep last night because <laughs> no, i'm playing <laughs> i think back to like my high school and college days and uh. like the sheer amount of gaming i did and i remember like <laughs> at that time i would see people complain about like game like rpgs and stuff that were too long and i was just li like like something that was like 40 hours i'm like are you kidding me it's only 40 hours give me 80 right. and, and now i see something that's like 20 hours and i'm just like i don't have time for that <laughs> right. yeah no it's like whatever the latest final fantasy was or whatever it's just like yeah, yeah i'm just gonna play this you know like non-stop until it's done <laughs> i still haven't played it i i tried and i couldn't get into it so i'm like yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, all right. Very cool. Very cool. It's good to have you back on the show, Rachel. Thank you. And all right. You know what time it is? It's time for our five minute controversy. And that's where we just talk about something before we talk about our main topic, just to kind of loosen us up and give you at home just a little bit of an insight into something that we feel about, you know, something that's been you know, going around in the geekosphere. And so today what I wanted to talk about was uh, Martin Scorsese's comments about comic book films. And, you know, he basically, well, <clears throat> let me let me pull up the actual article here. Um, and it's refusing to pull up, so I'll just go over here. All right, so, um, so he said that... Um, uh, honestly, the closest I can think... Uh, or he says, all right, sorry. He says, they're not cinema. He says, honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well-made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. So, um, James, why don't you start us off on this one? What Do you agree? Do you think there's any merit? Because, you know, a lot of other people have sort of glommed on to this. You know, there's been a lot of comments. You know, some directors, you can tell he's Martin Scorsese. A lot of people don't want to be like, you're just wrong. So sometimes when I see some of the comments, I think that somebody's just kind of pussyfooting around it. But, you know, other people are kind of trying to hedge their bets and say there's a little merit to what he's saying. Like, what do you think? Is there is there any merit to what he's saying? No. Um, <laughs> hello, I'm Martin Scorsese, and I'm the gatekeeper of cinema. Like that's that's kind of how I interpreted it. It's like, uh, like uh, don't get me wrong, I love Martin Scorsese films. They are some of my favorite movies. Um, the way he directs movies is very unique, and he's been around the industry for such a long, long time. 
Um, but I don't, I don't agree with like his assessment of, of like superhero movies that they're missing, um, that connection, that engagement, um, of like the human element and, and things like that. Like, I don't, uh, I'm like, did you, did you watch the second Endgame movie at all? <laughs> like, did you really pay attention or did you nod off? Cause you are kind of an old guy now. Um, <laughs> oh, man. So it was, yeah, I just, I, I didn't like it. And honestly, like I've seen some other people like uh, actors out there who are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, react to his comments. And my favorite by far was Samuel Jackson because he goes, that's like saying Bugs Bunny ain't funny. And I was like, I, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like I can see Sam Jackson saying that exactly. <laughs> so I, I was, I don't know. I, I think I think he's being overtly critical, and I think a part of it could be, honestly, could be, like, he feels threatened, because Mm. it's just like, he's made these masterpieces of cinema that people go to, and... I can understand how, like, the superhero craze has just, like, every year you're getting hit with at least, like, two to three superhero movies um, and, uh, like, going, well, it's a saturated market. I don't think because of that, I don't think they're capturing the things that make cinema great. And I could I could get that. But at the same time, I don't get that because the only things I think that capture not making cinema great are most of DC's movies. That's about it. (laughs) All right, so Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, what do you think about uh, Scorsese's comments? Um, yeah, I mean, there's so like the whole like they're kind of like a theme park thing. I mean, yeah. yeah, like a lot of I feel like a lot of them kind of are, but that doesn't mean that they're like there are different types of art is the problem that mm-hmm. he's missing, and so it's like, are they like art cinema like Scorsese makes sometimes? Like, no, they're not, but that doesn't make them not art. And so it's like, yeah, are they kind of the cinema equivalent of a theme park? Some of them, but does, is that a, the problem is, is that it, it's, um, assuming that's a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, we mentioned like Endgame. obviously that's not, you know, like they, they definitely incorporate levels of human emotion and, you know, conveying these things. It's just, I, I think a lot of it comes, um, and, and I, I say this as an artist, like, you know, we can get a little snooty about the term art. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like, there's art that's made for other artists because other artists are the ones that are going to be able to like really appreciate like the the kind of craft that goes into things. And, you know, like the your average audience member isn't going to notice that kind of stuff. And so, like, I mean, I think what Scorsese should have said is that, like, I don't emotionally connect to these movies. And to me, they feel like a theme park. But I understand that other people emotionally connect to them. It's like, you know, that's the th- like, he did, you know. I, I know plenty of people who aren't into superhero movies at all, and they're just mm-hmm. like, you know, I just don't get it. I don't connect with them. And I'm just like, that's totally fair. But, like, the problem, like, he, he's just not acknowledging that there are different forms of art. And um, that that's the big problem with, like, the blanket statement is for, for me. You know, so it's like, I mean, there are aspects of what he said. It's like, yeah, they're... I mean, they're, they're kind of like theme park fun. But then, you know, they can go from, like, theme park you know, popcorn fun one minute to like, you know, disintegrating half of their universe and very emotional scenes and everything like that. So 
you know, it kind of runs the gamut. Um, though I would, uh, I would agree that like I would apply it to most of the DC films, <laughs> um, <laughs> except Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's sort of like half agreement, like. like most of them are popcorn flicks but like that's just another form of art that has its place and not like and I this is coming from someone like I love snooty art films love Mm. them but like not everything has to be a snooty art film to have value right yeah it kind of reminds me when I was when I was younger I had to read my name as Asher Lev for uh, school and I remember that the guy he, you know, that he that he sort of mentored under or whatever, the artist, was kind of like, well, if you just want to, like, draw really nice, then you're an illustrator, not an artist. And, you know, it's a completely different thing. And I'm like, you know, I actually kind of, like, really appreciate when somebody just makes something that looks like something else, you know, whether it's a sculpture or a painting or whatever kind of art that it is. And it's like... I don't need the art to always be, like, something really obscure or, you know, like, I'm expressing something complex through this. I sometimes just like to see, like, a painting that looks like a scene. You know, it's a sunset. And you see this kind of thing, like, it's it's sort of, it's the battle between fine art versus commercial art is kind of what it comes down to. Like, Scorsese, a lot of his films are, like, fall in the fine art sphere, and it has its place, but, like, commercial art can be just as affecting for people, and, you know, people in the art world can look down their noses at it, but, you know, like, it, it doesn't have to be you, be for you to have value, like, well, and yeah, and it's like even to look down on someone who makes a kind of art that's that's you know perhaps more lowbrow is still because I mean there's still a tremendous amount of work that comes in to just reproduce a scene, right? No matter what kind of art it is or whatever, like when I'm talking about something that looks like something else, you know, there's craftsmanship. There is extreme amount of attention to detail and being able to take materials and to compose something that looks you know like just like a scene or like a a sculpture of a person or whatever and it doesn't need you know you you get what i'm saying it's like and so it's not it's not like people who are making that aren't as skilled as somebody else it's just they're not trying to go for you know something that has some sort of symbolic meaning you know so um juliet what do you think about scorsese's comments all right so um, when I was reading that article, there was something that stood out to me. And he said, what was it he said? He said, uh, it isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. And I don't know about anybody else, but like a good portion of those Marvel movies have ripped my heart out and <laughs> done the foxtrot on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't... I don't think he was approaching it with an open mind. I think he was approaching it with the idea that, yes, these are popcorn movies. And in a way, they, they definitely are. But didn't people also, like, basically call Shakespeare stuff at the time that Shakespeare was writing it and it was being performed popcorn, basically? that was common entertainment. That was not highbrow. Exactly. But now we look back on it and go, oh, Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. and and view him like that. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like sometimes we have to take a step back and be like, give it time. I mean, there are many, so many movies and books and other works of art that may not have been intended as highbrow or to appeal to anything but just people's experiences at the time. But later on, we look back at them and we're like, wow, that that really 
really spoke to people then and it still speaks to people now. A lot of my a lot of the movies that I identify with and that really get to me aren't the ones that are considered high art or anything like that. They're the ones that I can relate to and I maybe they aren't considered by Scorsese as cinema, but they have they reach down and evoke that emotion in me and to me that's what he's saying that they don't do, but they really do. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. No, I mean, because I come back to, you know, people have been saying this about sci-fi and fantasy for years also, that, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it's just, oh, it's just flash, and, you know, it's there's nothing real of any import in there. And really, I mean, it's doing a disservice. It's, it's saying, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of examples of superhero movies, sci-fi and fantasy, that put the effects above, before the storytelling. That's true. But... Good science fiction, good fantasy, good superhero movies are trying to tell a story about humanity, but in an extreme circumstance, right? In a world where things are very different than they are here, or in a world where, you know, some people have superpowers or whatever. It's something that's throwing the actual world out of whack to actually show more about the human condition, to put humans in extreme circumstances, and then say, well, how do people react to that? What is the emo what are the stakes? You know, what is the human reaction to that? And that's where some of the best, you know, uh, storytelling, you know, comes out in my mind, is by doing that. Now, can you do stories like that set in the real world? Sure, I mean, you can do stories set during, you know, one of the world wars or something like that. Again, human beings in extreme circumstances, whatever. And, and that's fine, but what I'm saying is that to dismiss a whole genre, because really superhero movies or sci-fi or fantasy is such a broad scope anyway, because the number of stories that you can tell within that, I mean, even with Marvel, I mean, you look at Ant-Man's a heist film, you know, you've got, you know, uh, the superhero comedies with the Guardians of the Galaxy kind of movies. You've got more of, like, the, you know, espionage thriller with, like, your Winter Soldier type movies. You know, so you have all of these different, you know, superhero, yeah, it's the sort of overarching genre, but you have all these other genres thrown in there also. So it's kind of, in my mind, kind of wrong to paint them all with the same brush anyway. Well, but... don't forget, you just mentioned visual effects, and it's mentioned in the article, too. I mean, think about the first five minutes of Endgame. There were no special visual effects in that in that opening. But when I saw that in the theater, because we are, am I allowed to talk spoilers about it now? Is it safe yeah, oh yeah, time? it's been enough okay. time. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're hanging out with Hawkeye and his family, and it's all great, and we're having a great time, and... Then suddenly he turns around and they're gone. Mm -hmm. And there were no visual effects. There's nothing going on. It's And the entire theater all around me, all you heard was, oh my God, and just gasped. Like, it was like you couldn't breathe suddenly because of all of the air was gone because we'd all sucked it into our lungs. There's no visual effects. There's no nothing like that. It's just a simple moment of gone. And that, you could feel the emotion in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned Shakespeare. That was one of the things I was going to bring up, too, is because, you know, sometimes you need that perspective of history to say, you know, where there's something really did, you know, is higher art and whatnot, because people do have agendas. I think James Art also has a good point about Scorsese and other filmmakers who have made similar comments feeling a little bit threatened by the popularity of, uh, you know, a lot of these superhero movies, and so they kind of feel the need to, you know, uh, uh, lash out at them. I'm also reminded of Bill Maher's comments about comic books, 
you know, again, the whole idea of, well, comic books are, you know, lowbrow entertainment and adults shouldn't even be, like, you know, talking about them. It's something for little kids kind of thing. And, and you know, it's, 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 there's always this sort of fight against, you know, what people want to consider, like, not worthy entertainment. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's just annoying that it's still something that's propagating and, and it's something that's still, uh, something to talk about. But to me, if somebody feels like they get something out of it, you know, that, that makes it worthy entertainment. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> you can't just say like, it's not worthy entertainment just because you don't like it. So that's kind of where I fall down on, on this and, and anyone who says something similar to it. Although I have kind of chuckled as I've seen other you know directors kind of like you know like you 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 you, you see james gunn's comments or kevin smith or some of the other ones they're all trying to like sort of like be like i don't agree with him but he's martin scorsese so i can't really say it directly and it's just kind yeah of i mean like, it's uh, a small industry like you know you don't want to piss off martin scorsese like, <laughs> i mean you know that's just how that goes and and i'm sure i mean and i'm sure they have like respect him tremendously too so it's just like you know, you just you could be like, eh, I don't agree, but so yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not going to give people a hard time for like not wanting to outright be like, Martin, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, no, but still at the same time, I feel like if you're making the movies that he's dissing, you could be like, I completely disagree. Instead, they're like, they won't even say that much, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I've just been amused by some of the comments that I've read because it seems like, yeah, they just don't want to say anything openly that disagrees with him, but um. But all right, but yeah, no, I think that this is a this is a pretty good discussion, and uh, I think we're all more or less on the same page on this. And uh, yeah, I just I just hope that uh, you know at some point, you know, people will just let people enjoy what they want to enjoy because you know I'm kind of sick of this. I've been sick of this since I was a teenager. <laughs> And being told that, like, the stuff that I like to read isn't, like, you know, like, good because it's science fiction or whatever, you know. So it just seems like we're fighting the same battles. But anyway. All right. So, yeah, now uh, we're going to talk about our main topic. But just before we do that, we're going to take a we're going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast. Claire here with a special announcement. Contrary to popular belief, I didn't cancel Dr. Geek's laboratory. It fell into development purgatory thanks to MacGuffinite crystals or some such science from fiction nonsense. I've put an end to that. I locked all the staff inside the laboratory for the duration of the crisis. Now they can create 24-7 without petty distractions like home lives or free will. Look for new Dr. Geek episodes coming soon. The gay dynamics last up against the wall when the robots rise. And we're back. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to talk about movie soundtracks and scores. Um, this is something that's been kind of near and dear to my heart for many years. Um, the first like album of music that I ever owned was the uh, Batman uh, 1989 
uh, film score um, with the Danny Elfman music on it. And I have always appreciated, like, well-done music in a movie. And in a lot of ways, I feel like it can either make or break a movie, you know, having the right music on it. If you've ever seen, like, scenes from a movie that have music and then seen them, like, raw without the music, you can tell how much that, you know, the music can affect the mood of what's going on and how it can enhance, you know, the experience of a particular scene. And so I kind of wanted to just talk to everybody. You know, this is this is like one of those topics that I feel like is a really fun one because we can all share, like, stuff that we really like. And so I, I just wanted to, you know, have a bunch of people on so that we could just talk about, like, the different movie scores that we like, sort of talk about, um, you know, different composers or things of that nature. So to just start us right off, um, James, or no, I'm... You know what, James? I've started with you two times. I'm going to change it up. Um, Juliet. Yes. Uh, I know we've talked about anime soundtracks before, but, um, <laughs> you know, and I kind of want to save that a little bit for the anime soundtrack uh, thing. But um, is there any particular composer that uh, you really enjoy listening to? Oh, my God. Um, so many. Like, <laughs> Pick one. Even to... Okay, well, like today, even I can tell you this, like I've been in a funk all weekend and I was out doing errands and I was feeling more down and suddenly the Imperial March comes on my shuffle Mm. on Spotify and there's, I could feel the goosebumps and just something in my spirit lifted. Like John Williams has easily scored at least half of my life and will probably continue (laughs) to do so. I saw him conduct in concert in person once and it was, I cried. I was, I was sobbing by the end of the concert. He's... I figure he's probably one of everybody's favorite composers, and I have so many I want to like talk about during this podcast with all of y'all. But the only reason I bring him up first is simply because of just the moment today in my car. Okay, really no, 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 that's thing. really cool. Because yeah, I was actually on one of these, you know, um, because you know, I mean, you were you were on Sean Castic before as well, but you know, back when Sean Castic, Sean actually did an episode like this, and it would seem so weird to me that we didn't talk about John Williams until like almost the end of it, and I was like, you know, I realized that none of us wants to be like the tropish one that like prills out like the most obvious person, but it's kind of like you gotta bring him up because yeah, he is so prolific. I mean, you, know? you can't help it. Everything about his music, he, it, like most composers, like you can usually guess who's composing a movie because they all have certain sounds that they mm-hmm. love. Like I know a Danny Elfman score from three miles away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people have, you know, sort of said that he only has one real like piece of music and he just kind of redoes it. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. But I mean, and I hope that I get to mention some of my other favorites too. But I've, yeah. I've just had to throw him out there because, like I said, today in the car it just hit me and I realized how much. Star the Star Wars scores just really lift my soul, even when I don't know that I'm feeling down. I just suddenly feel better. Yeah. Oh, and 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 by the way, everybody, don't don't feel the need to wait. You know, for and I get that it's kind of hard with uh, you know, when we don't can't see each other to like know when to jump in or whatever. But you know, I want us each to to mention a, a composer. So you know, if you have something you want to say about John Williams, it's okay to like jump in and talk about John Williams because you know, just like Juliet saying, I mean, like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, there's Jurassic Park. You know, there's so many different. You know, like like movies that are so huge 
you know, and it always seems like John Williams is, is, you know, somebody that's in there with these huge blockbuster, you know, like movies that are more than just like popular movies. They are the ones that go to like super epic franchise levels you know and there he is you know composing the music for it so yeah totally i mean major part of my childhood also uh juliet you know. and y'all feel free to like interrupt me if you're excited about a composer because i don't care i'll talk about them all night <laughs> yeah but um so yeah i mean do you guys have something you wanted to say about john williams that guy's pretty cool No, I mean, I think I think you, you hit it right on the head. Like, there's there's so many things that John Williams has uh, done the composition for that it's like uh, welcome to most of my nerd life right here. Like, it's just that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, I mean, and the Imperial March that again is just one of those super iconic, you know, things. Like, you just play the Imperial March, and everybody knows that's the Empire from Star Wars, right? You know, you got your Duel of the Fates. You know, you've got your, you know, the, the actual opening theme for Star Wars. You know, these are all pieces of music that as soon as you just play, like, a little bit of it, people know, like, ah, I know, you know, what's what this is. Jurassic Park is another one that's like that. You know, like, everybody knows what that tune is, you know, when you play it. Well, and I think it's I think it's one of those where, like, because there's some franchises, like, he, he only did, like, a handful. He didn't do all of the movies. So it's just like he did the first three Harry Potter movies. And it's just like he set the bar for the rest of the franchise after that. Like, I would have hated being the composer to come in after John Williams and be like, so John did these three movies. They were fantastic. People love them. The music's phenomenal. It's not like you have a heavy burden on your shoulders or anything to, like, live up to the rest <laughs> of the series. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he also did Jaws, Superman. I mean, you know, like all these things. Like, even when I say the name of the movie, I bet you know, like, what that you Like, you start playing the music in your head, right? You know? Oh, yeah. E.T., oh, man. Yeah, E.T., that's another one. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, he, he's almost like in a category all by himself just because of how many it's not just like I say, it's not just like just the volume of work he's done. It's that they all like launched into this super, you know, high popularity kind of, I mean, not every movie he's ever worked for, but so many of them. Um, and so it's just, it's just kind of amazing. You gotta say that part of that is just because these movies had such an amazing score that, you know, they, they latched into people, you know, again, getting back to Scorsese's comments, they connect with people emotionally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Last Christmas, I actually watched one of the first movies. I think it was one of the first movies he composed, uh, Fitz Willie. With, uh, oh my gosh, I had never heard of it. My mom watches old Turner classic movies. And one of the trivia things, because I thought the mu music sounded vaguely familiar, they were like, this was composed by somebody you might know, Johnny Williams. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he, um, I think he did the redone version of the Lost in Space, TV, you know, the TV show theme uh, back in the in the 60s. It was one of his, uh, his early pieces of work, which if you're familiar at all with the 60s Lost in Space, the original theme was awful. And the second theme is like <laughs> so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but um all right so so rachel hi who who is a composer that you like um gosh it's hard to pick um i think i'll probably go with this one was like kind of 
instrumental, ha ha, in, <laughs> in um, my, oh god, that was so lame. In, in my coming to like and pay attention to film scores, um, is Alan Menken, mm. who did all of the the Disney films during the Golden Age, and I can still remember um, the very first film soundtrack I ever bought was the Lion King soundtrack, and so I bought it because I liked. You know the the songs wherever where all the characters sang, but um, listening to the soundtrack is when I first started listening to the score too, and I was and I became absolutely obsessed with the score to the point where I liked the score more than I liked you know the the actual quote songs, <laughs> um, and so and then from then on it's just like I like. I love the music to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like mm-hmm. I like if there's a day where um, I need to like get a lot of work done, there's like, I think, I think people refer to the score for that. So uh, that movie is like angry Mencken. Cause there's like all of this like angry Gothic music on it. So like, I'll listen to that cause it sounds all epic and everything. So like, I know I think his work is like what really kind of turned me into a film score nerd. So I'll go with him um, and then I feel like after John Williams, the other like, you know, elephant in the room you have to talk about well, is like Hans Zimmer. Well, OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I said one, one each, one each. So <laughs> you can talk about Mankin. Mankin was the one you chose. Hey, hey Julia. Also, I just want thing. you to. <laughs> I, I, that was only a passing reference. It was only a passing reference because Nathan brought him up. <laughs> but uh, I do want to say I'm over here just like pumping my fist in the air at your mention of the score for Hunchback of Notre Dame because that is one of my <laughs> absolute favorite scores. Oh, also, yeah. the Lion King's track to die for mm-hmm. that particular name track. Oh, chills every time. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Yeah, no, and, and 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 you know these are these are interesting because I also noticed that he did Little Shop of Horrors. So you yes. know, doing a doing a musical is uh, you know like a different kind of skill set anyway because you've got to you know sort of work in with you know how the actors are going to be performing you know with the music and like whatever like routines they're doing at the time and everything else. So that's a really interesting one. This is uh, Mankin isn't one that I would have thought about, and so I'm really glad that you brought him up because yeah, a lot of these Disney movies have such great you know music you know uh, again it's part of the popularity is you know you know oh god you know my it, it's not it's not one of his but you know it's not one of Mankin's but uh you know my kids like after watching Frozen right you know it's just like you hear all the songs over and over and over again so um it's part of the popularity of the Disney movies is that they they get good people to work on the the music but uh all right so James who, who would you like to bring up? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, we're talking about a lot of big names, and I think if you're going to talk a lot of big names, you can't forget Alan Silvestri. Mm. Uh, Alan Silvestri, who uh, partnered with Robert Zemeckis for a lot of work over his career, mm-hmm. uh, Back to the Future, and he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump. Of course, the big ones lately in the theaters over the last, like, 10 years, a bunch of the Avengers movies. Um so yeah, like he's just uh, he's he's one of those that I think in observation he has been present pretty much through every stage of my life in cinema. <laughs> so it's just like when I was a kid and like watching like Who Framed Roger Rabbit with my mom, and then like Back to the Future, and then just like as I came into my like early year, my early teens with like Forrest Gump and Castaway, um, uh, all the way up into yeah like the the current Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and even, and and like, I love, I love finding like the little things that like a director, uh, maybe 
like did uh that was like oh yeah they did the music for this movie and it's like things you just never think about and it's just like romancing the stone like it's a classic <laughs> wonderful movie that there's so many people i know who are like I've never even heard of that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing with your life? If you played the game Uncharted, that game 100% rips off so much of Romancing the Stone. I was like, you got to go watch it. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. But yeah, the music, um, he's just always done a phenomenal job of, I, I think, finding what's in the times um, for a lot of stuff like Back to the Future and whatnot mm-hmm. and like creating music that, meets the era that you know marty's traveling in and things like that as well as the music that was popular um at the time that those movies came out yeah no sylvester i mean yeah i was hoping you were going to get to back to the future because that's another one that i feel like is such an iconic score like you know again you you hear the name back to the future you're thinking that you know it just goes through your head you know, and and I agree, you know, Avengers, you know, dun, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's and that's what I really love about these guys. They, they make these like musical cues, you know, that, you know, just like get in your head. Right. And can like summon up like a whole movie. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I really appreciate, you know, soundtracks, because, you know, you think about like. You know, like uh, like opera and things like that. You know, which was like sort of the old version of of doing that, of having like the music, you know, as part of the play or whatnot. And it's the sort of idea of you know the music being as important to telling the story as the you know actual actions that the people are doing and the actual performances and whatnot. And and yeah, it's just it's always fascinated me this 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 quality, this ability to to do that, to make you like so like for instance, at work, as things have gotten worse, I've started putting on headphones and listening to soundtracks because a lot of times like the soundtrack helps me just like it's almost like I can watch the movie again by listening to the soundtrack because it summons up all those memories of the movie. So I can't watch the movie while I'm at work, but I can listen to the soundtrack, which is the next best thing. Oh yeah, well, and I think for me, like I, what, what, what's interesting is like I, I really, really struggle when it comes to like remembering who actors are. My wife is the one who's just like, oh, like so and so and so and so, this happened, and I'm like. I don't know who you're talking about right now, unless they're like a major name. Like if it's a major name, I know who they are. But like if it's somebody I've only seen in like a few movies and they're still probably a great actor, they could be Emmy nominated, you know, or they could be nominated for um, a Golden Globe or any number of other awards. And I'd be like, I don't know who that is. Um, But the interesting thing is I can remember just as you said, like I can remember a movie very easily. If somebody plays the music, like if somebody plays the song for me, I can name that movie. No problem. But if they're like, Oh, this actor, this actor were in it, you've got about a 70% chance that I'm not going to have a clue of what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. For mine, I'm going to talk about Michael Giacchino. Oh my gosh. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Dr. Strange. Yeah. He's a relatively new, uh, name, but, uh, you know, can, Compared to the people we've been talking about, anyway, he's a newer name, and I first sort of clued into him with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, because while I had problems with the movie itself, one thing I did not have problems with was the soundtrack. 
which I thought was absolutely amazing. And there's that sort of majestic theme that he's sort of created for Star Trek that I just, every time I hear it, you know, I'm just like moved, you know. Um, and, and then, yeah, like Juliet said, uh, and then the thing that really cemented it was Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange has such an amazing soundtrack because using, you know, Asian instruments that you normally don't hear, you like, they're the instruments you normally hear in like stores that are trying to sell you on like scented candles and stuff. And like, they play like that sort of like, but they use that as really like, you know, very low key, very soothing kind of things. And it's just so fascinating to have like this fast moving rock type, you know, like soundtrack, you know, using instruments that aren't instruments you normally hear. I don't even know what they're called. What about the harpsichord, man? That entire oh, yeah, and there's a harpsichord in there, too. Oh, God, that's so... Yes, I love having the harpsichord so prominent in that soundtrack also. And, um, and yeah, Doctor Strange, I think, is one of, like, the best soundtracks to come out in the last few years. Um, it's just it's just so good. And... Um, he's also really... Um, he's done a lot of work for Pixar, too. So, like, you know, one of the mm-hmm. ones that really stands out was, like, he did Ratatouille... And I think he did some work for Coco, too. So, it, like, I really, really liked his work um, in the animated sphere, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I mean, he's been involved in Incredibles. Another, you know, movie, you know, that has, you know, a very iconic soundtrack to it. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I think. I saw he did a Spider-Man Far From Home when I was watching the credits mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> yep. So, um you know, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of prolific now. I mean, he's, he's been a, you know, a big player, but to me, the two that always will stick out with where that stick out to me right now are the Star Trek theme and the, uh, and the, uh, Dr. Strange theme. All right. Well, I think we went quick enough with this that we can go around again. So Juliet, who's, who's the second composer you'd like to talk about? Oh gosh. I'm like torn between two. Um, crap. <laughs> Y'all have no idea how hard it is for me to choose just one of the two. What the heck? I'm going to go with uh, Michael Kamen. Mm. Um, He passed away a few years ago, and his death really hit me hard when it did. Because, again, uh, he was a composer I grew up listening to without realizing that I'd grown up listening to him. Die Hard. Let me just throw that out there. He composed Die Hard. Um, But the first time I can remember seeing his name in the credits and linking him to a movie score permanently in my head was the very first X-Men movie. Mm -hmm. I know everybody had issues with it, but for me, (laughs) that score was one of the most memorable things I heard, especially as cheesy as it sounds, the Logan and Rogue theme. I I can't stand Rogue. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I really can't. (laughs) But that one beautiful piece of music, just... And it plays over the very end of the credits. So I used to go, I worked in a movie theater at the time, and I would just go and stand inside the doors just for the end credits to listen to that music. Um, oddly enough, not quite score related, but he was also the one that worked with the Metallica for the, uh, with the San Francisco Orchestra to compose that yeah, album. Yeah, that's a great album. <laughs> so Michael Kamen, he was such a versatile composer, and his music, you while there are many composers that I feel like you can pick out specific things that link all of their stuff together, he was so good at composing very specifically for each movie. Like, I can't hear a lot of similarities between Die Hard and X-Men unless I really try. But 
if you've never just listened to the score for Die Hard, go back and listen to it. They've got a special edition that's two discs and is entirely worth listening to. Yeah, he he did uh, Highlander. Yes, <laughs> he did so much. Yeah, I'm looking at him right now because he's not one that I've like paid a lot of attention to, and I'm looking at the movies that he did, and these are a lot of movies that I really love. But you've seen so many of the movies he did. <laughs> right, no, I know. I'm like, wow, this is really great. <laughs> this is a great yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. resume. Like, I'm, I'm really hoping somebody will also bring up the other one I wanted to mention, but I wanted to go with Michael Kamen because he's not as well-known by name. Yeah, well, and I think I think you mentioned something that that speaks really honestly about the composition for music in a movie. It does the same in like video games, where the movie could be terrible as far as the movie itself. It could be like, oh, that's just not a good movie. But funny enough, like rarely am I just like, oh. The composition was terrible too. And like more often than not, I'm like, the music was fine. It matched the tone of everything happening, and it was great. It's just the whoever wrote that script was garbage. <laughs> there is one movie, and I'll get to it if we have time at the very end. That the score for it was absolutely awful. It's the only time I've ever hated a compo- that composer's work, and it destroyed the movie for me. Oh. <laughs> Well, it is funny also you brought up because I that I have one on my list that is somebody that I really love his music, but it's kind of samey, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and you bring up like that. Yeah, like a lot of composers, it's like once you clue into their work, you know, like you can recognize, you know, a score from them. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool. Like when somebody can do, you know, a lot of varied, you know, very different work that doesn't sound very similar. So, yeah, yeah. Cayman's a, a really good choice. Um, all right, Rachel, what's your second pick? <laughs> well, we'll go with Hans Zimmer, as I mentioned before. <laughs> um, it's so it's so hard to uh, to pick with these because I feel like like I I do have certain composers that I like, but really, when it comes down to it, is I like I make connections to p- specific scores rather than a mm. lot of like specific composers. So like sure. at some point, I want to like touch on those. But yeah. I think Hans Zimmer is one of the good ones. Um, you know, of course, he's super famous for like doing the Batman Begins trilogy mm-hmm. and like tons and tons and tons of movies. And um, you know, he kind of. I feel like he can really nail like the kind of like the darker, more um, ominous things like, a, you know, he did Inception, of course. And, you know, pe- people like to make fun of the bomb bomb thing with that. But that was such an incredible <laughs> score. Like it was just so um, just so suspenseful and it, it just worked so well with the movie. I loved that. But I think um, for me, my favorite of his, which is probably one that doesn't really get mentioned as much but um his soundtrack for the sherlock holmes movies with Mm. robert downey jr Mm -hmm. like he first of all i love the the main theme for that but um just the way he approached it like the the piano in that soundtrack has he used an out of tune broken piano to get the sound that he wanted so like i just love hearing those kinds of stories where like you know composers will come up with these creative solutions it's just like well you know i'm just going to use a broken piano because it you know he's kind of we're kind of approaching this is like he's kind of like he's this discombobulated genius sort of thing and he's what's the word i'm like uh vocabulary is failing me um <laughs> he, he's not 
not he's not your your typical uh, interpretation of Holmes, and so like they wanted to go for something like a little more off kilter, I guess. And so like just that that whole soundtrack was just so so good, and I loved it. And I think that was like you know, of course, I had seen. I had heard more of his soundtracks because he's all over the place, but that was the one where, like, I really, really connected to Hans Zimmer. Mm. Oh, yeah, that soundtrack is definitely underrated. It really is. Yeah, I gotta say, it was 2005 when I clued into Zimmer with Batman Begins, um, because that is an amazing soundtrack. And that's another one that I feel like is... Uh, there's there's a lot of emotion in that soundtrack. And yeah, you know, some of it's, you know, darker and downbeat or whatever. But like, I feel like Bruce's whole journey in that movie is encapsulated within that music. And so I really liked, uh, you know, what he was doing there. I, I felt like in the later movies, the music wasn't as important. But definitely for Batman Begins, I feel like like the music was an intrinsic part of of what was going on there and i swear that like the music like one of the most epic like sweeping like pieces that i've ever heard is that thing for like the final thing where bruce is going to go confront rachel ghoul and stop him from like releasing the the stuff in the in the water main and there's that you know like that music that plays all through that whole ending segment of the movie oh god i can listen to that over and over it is so good <laughs> So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, James, what's your uh, next composer? Um, so, my next composer actually is somebody um, that uh, probably not a lot of people um, are necessarily familiar with because a lot of his work um, was mostly like foreign uh, films that were not released in the United States. But there is one, there is one that everybody knows, and it's the movie The Godfather, um, as well oh. as The Godfather Part Two, and that was Nino Rota. Um, for not like those movies like you anybody who's ever seen the godfather the second you hear that intro song like you know exactly what it is like in and uh, again it's just a wave of emotion for what those movies are um it was a perfect pairing with francis ford coppola and his vision of um kind of Ital italy and italian american culture and and just really uh coming up with that and so he didn't make like i said he didn't make a lot of stuff uh, a lot of his work uh was uh, primarily uh, Italian movies and stuff. So there's none of his other work I'm super, super familiar with. But it's just like, he's still one of the most well-known composers in my mind, simply because of one of the most well-known movie... Uh, God help me, I hate saying trilogy, because I don't ever like including the third Godfather movie. But <laughs> but, but it really, like he, he the, his work in the first two movies really just set the tone and the pace um for for that kind of mobster thing and i feel like you you definitely see other composer composers when they do make mobster movies especially if it's dealing with italian american mobsters where they definitely borrow a lot of the same essences of what he captured um for those and and made and really helped make those movies prolific no that's another good call that's another good call. Um, 
for me, and and we are going to talk about specific movies. That's the next thing I want to do after this, because uh, like to Rachel's point, not everything is always about you know a, a composer, and sometimes just individual movies just have you know a really awesome soundtrack. Um, but uh, the other one that I wanted to talk about a lot is um, James Horner. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And James Horner is one of those ones that if I hear, like for instance, I did not know that he had scored Amazing Spider-Man. But when I watched the movie, I was like, that's James Horner. And then I went home and I looked it up and I was like, yep, I'm right. That's James Horner. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, you know, I mean, he there are certain like things that he uses a lot. There's certain like musical like cues and whatnot that that he just uses over and over again. And, you know, but the thing is, I like them. So, <laughs> you know, it, it works. Um, so, like, you know, you've got Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3. You've got willow you've got crawl you've got the rocketeer apollo 13 as well yeah apollo 13 you've got a lot of really great you know you know musical scores that this guy has done i mean willow for me is another one of those ones that from a young age you know like i loved that willow soundtrack like i was all about that willow soundtrack so especially like the music when like mad martigan's like just going yes. crazy and oh like getting everybody there. It, was, that, that, it was so epic i just i can remember being a kid and just getting like so pumped watching those scenes because of the music you know that's so good you know yeah. and the rocketeer is another one that like i never didn't know it was horner when i was young but like i love the rocketeer theme you know like that's another movie that I got really excited about you know like just because like the music is so good i mean not just because but the, the music was such a big part of the experience of watching that movie so um yeah i i really enjoy you know um uh, the Horner, you know, scores. And like I say, even now, like, when I see a Horner movie, it's just like, ah, <laughs> there he is. Oh, Legend of Zorro is another one um, that I absolutely oh, yeah. love. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Matt Wow, yeah. Mask of Zorro. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he did a bunch of Don Bluth's movies, too, like An American <laughs> Tale, The Land Before Time. Like, he, he, he he's been around. <laughs> and then there's, like, I mean, there's, like, the big one that, uh, he did the Titanic soundtrack, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we'll we'll forgive him for the Celine Dion song, but like the rest of that soundtrack is so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Unable to stay, unwilling yeah. to leave. Track number seven or eight on that soundtrack. Oh One gosh, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because. <laughs> Yeah, Titanic's one that I wasn't going to mention just because of the fact that it's so overshadowed by that Celine Dion song. It's part. like, but like when you like actually look at the score, like it's a really beautiful score. Like he uses it, like, mm. I mean, there's like bagpipes and all of this stuff. It gets really, really pretty. And it's such a shame that that song just takes takes over everything. Yeah. Uh, for for like two years, there was nothing else playing on the radio after that movie <laughs> came out. <laughs> Uh, yeah all right but yeah let's um let's switch over i mean we're gonna give shout outs we're, we're definitely gonna do shout outs but we could have like four or five hours easily of podcast just talking about like 
you know, composers and stuff. So we got to do, we do got to kind of got to move along a little bit. Um, so let's talk about just like individual movies that you feel have, you know, just such a perfect sound. And this is where you can bring in even not necessarily a composer, but like if it's a soundtrack, it just has like really great music that was pulled from whatever, you know, uh, you know, is on the radio or whatever. Um, so um, let's just keep the same order. So Juliet, do you have a movie that uh, you feel like has a fantastic soundtrack? I do. And I think that a lot of people don't really think about it. Um, the movie Clue uh, was mm. scored by a gentleman named John Morris. And I, I barely even know his name. But that movie and that sound, that score always stay in my mind because it's one of the few movies where you can tell that that score was composed and written specifically for the things that happened in the movie. Every piece of music in there complements what's going on with the characters. It's not just background music. It reacts to the scenes. And I love that about that movie. Mm. Like every time that they're doing their run, you hear the it's just beautiful. And I love to go back and just listen to it. it. It really, I don't know, it just makes me happy because so many scores these days. And it, it, don't get me wrong, I love it when it happens. You, know, you listen to the Avengers and it's sweeping epic music behind everything. But it doesn't react as though it's like, the score for Clue almost sounds like it's part of the sound effects because it's simply so involved in the action of the movie. You, you know what, when you say that, you what I think of, which is one of the ones by one of the big composers, but they're... Um, there's a great scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's when they're trying to get away when they're on the blimp. Yes. And the music is actually reacting. So, you know, it goes between the big sweeping stuff and, like, just these little, like, musical notes and whatever. But I love it because, like, everything that's going on, like, the music, like, sort of, like, you know, changes, you know, to, to sort of match what's going on in the scene and whatnot. And, you know, uh, there's even, like, you know, when, like, uh, Henry Jones is, like, trying to get, like, the birds to go and it's got this, you know, and it's to the, the 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 rhythm of him like you know un unflapping his umbrella and putting it back in again and just I don't know it just I I feel like that kind of that that's sort of the same kind of oh thing. no it totally yeah. is I mean like John mentioned uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit that's another movie where I feel like re the score reacts with the movie no that's that's always really cool because yeah it's it's. <laughs> It's it's always really neat how people can like uh, how these composers can like create music, you know, in different ways to like sort of either by trying to create like a sort of emotional tone or by just creating like these little bits and pieces that just sort of enhance like individual things going on in the in the movie. Um, so Rachel, uh, since you were the one who was saying like, oh, I really want to talk about some specific you know, movie soundtracks. What's, what's one that you want to talk about? Um, so if I only had the opportunity to talk about one film soundtrack, there's no contest whatsoever. I would gush about Pan's Labyrinth's soundtrack for hours. Um, it's mm. composed by Javier Navarrete. And first of all, I like one of my all time favorite movies, like easily top five. Um, and mm. you know, like the, the music was just so like, you know, uh, Juliet, you mentioned like soundtracks that are just like back, literally just background music. And, you know, like the, the music was just so integral, like, like the music and the film for are one for the one for me. Um, you know, like I can't, you know, like it, as soon as a, a, a bar of music from this soundtrack plays, like I immediately see the film in my head and, um, like, 
it, you know, like I, I went and saw the movie in the theaters and I was obsessed with it. And I, you know, a big part of that was the music. And so then I immediately went and bought the soundtrack for it. And I remember there was one day where I was just like sitting around, um, I think I was just drawing all day and I was just like, all right, yeah, I just, you know, just bought the soundtrack. Let me just like play this through to like beginning to end. And like, I cried, I cried when I saw the movie at the end of the movie. And when the music that played during the finale of the movie just played while I was drawing, like I was in, I was on my couch, like sobbing because I was like reliving the, the movie. Oh. And so it's just like, it's this beautiful, like mysterious fairy tale music and it just fits so well, but it's, there's just so much emotion in it and it just communicates everything that the character goes through so well. And it's just so beautiful. And I'm going to stop because I will keep going on forever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So James, what's a movie soundtrack that you really like? Oh man. Oh man. Um, God, so many. Uh, it's it's so hard to nail down one. Um, the one I'll actually go with right now, uh, because this movie franchise uh, I became obsessed with, like to a really sickening mm. level. <laughs> like, okay. Um, the Matrix, um, mm. or even The Matrix Two. I won't include The Matrix Three because, like, The Godfather Part Three. <laughs> It's a travesty. Um, even like music-wise, like I don't know. It's it's not one of the most impressive movies out of the collection. But The Matrix mm-hmm. and The Matrix Two, um, those were movies that I think really Don Davis did a fantastic job with a lot of the work he did on it. Um, but even outside of that, those soundtracks, uh, when you get away from just the uh, scoring for the movie and you get down to like what they just released for music, like these were movies that really got me into the whole like techno. EDM, um, electronica kind of genre of music. Because I had never, I grew up to give to to give a little backstory. I grew up in small town Montana, population seven hundred and fifty people in Sheridan, Montana. My graduating class was thirty kids. New music was a foreign concept to me because it was like <laughs> whatever was playing on the radio was all I listened to, and most of what was on the radio was like country music that my parents were listening to, or other people because it's this little ranching community. So, I like finding new music was a huge struggle for me. And then the first Matrix movie came out, and the movie blew my mind, and I was just like. I got it like uh, like I happened to come across the soundtrack at like Walmart and I was like there's a soundtrack <laughs> and, <laughs> and I bought it like right away and because uh, I had my own little like boombox CD player and I became disgustingly obsessed with the soundtrack just both for the scoring side of it and then just the music that was incorporated into it um, because of course all those things it's like while you can sit there and hear the Matrix theme and know that that's the Matrix movie they incorporated so many other songs into it that weren't composed um, you know that they just borrowed from to go okay this fits the mood or this fits um, this guy's a hacker what would a hacker mm. listen to oh clearly edm um i don't know a single hacker out there is is listening to like you know garth brooks but (laughs) so yeah it just uh it like there's marilyn manson's on there which my parents oh man it was like marilyn manson no (laughs) it's it's like lock your kids up that's satan's music kind of thing so yeah i just i discovered so many things i had never known in music before purely from that soundtrack 
Alright, very cool. Um, the one that I'm going to bring up first is a one by a composer that I don't, you know, a lot of his music, I, you know, I've, I've seen quite a few movies that he's done, and I never felt that he really nailed it like he did with this one, and that is David Arnold with Stargate. I'm so glad you brought up David Arnold. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, he's done other movies that I've enjoyed, you know, the music just fine. I just never felt watching any of his other movies like it was just like, this is it. But I remember being 14, going into the movie theater and watching Stargate, and I remember being really blown away by the music of Stargate. And, you know, you've got this, you know, sort of you know, Arabian sort of, you know, like, like desert, you know, musical theme, but also with this sort of, you know, this sort of ancient sort of very broad, like kind of thing with even some like, uh, you know, choral, you know, elements in there for some of the things of, you know, these whispers and whatnot. It's just everything from like Raw's theme to like the main theme of the movie to everything just felt like so intensely... I don't know, uh, just, just, just like interesting. And that final like epic, you know, sort of sweeping battle music was really fantastic. And it was just another one that this is a soundtrack I can just listen to over and over again. And it's almost like the movie is just playing again in my head. And I'm that 14 year old kid again, watching this movie in the movie theater. And, you know, it, it always, you know, I mean, the popularity of it is, is you know, kind of apparent from the fact that, you know, through a lot of the SG-1 franchise, they're reusing a lot of the elements, you know, musically from this movie, you know, even though they did start adding their own and doing, you know, a little bit more. But, you know, it was kind of, it's, 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 I don't know, it's just so good. And, you know, like... Again, I wouldn't. I would never list him as one of the great composers of all time for just his body of work, but that particular soundtrack, I think, is phenomenal. Oh, I've got to agree with you there. Although I do really enjoy his work with Michael Price on the BBC's Sherlock series. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Stargate. Mm, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Juliet, do you have another soundtrack you want to talk about? Oh, oh, I didn't know we were going to go round and round again. Um, okay, how about <laughs> one? How about one where I actually didn't appreciate the movie, but until I heard the soundtrack. Okay. All right, so I went in to go see the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the one with Davy Jones. Okay. And I was not impressed by this movie. I, I really enjoyed the first Pirates. I had a great time on it. I went to the second one. I was like, eh, it's not that great. But then I happened to pick up the score because I'm a movie score buff. And that's what I do. Like, my entire CD collection is mainly movie scores. <laughs> and I started listening to it. See, I'm not the only one. That's why yeah. we're all here. But I started listening to it. And the music caught my attention. Like, I was really digging it. And I went back... And I listened to like the Davy Jones theme. That was that was and the Kraken. The Kraken was my favorite track from that score. And I went back and rewatched the movie, and I watched it with fresh eyes, thanks to listening to the music. And now, I really, actually, kind of dig that one. It's very strange. Mm. There are a couple movies where that did it for me, and I would name more, but I think I'm only allowed one. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna okay. be allowed some shoutouts. All right. Um. Rachel, what's another soundtrack that you really like? Um, so 
getting away from scores and being just more of like a straight up soundtrack um sure <laughs> this is going to be like nerdy as i'll get out but i don't care is the first mortal kombat movie Woo-woo! yeah <laughs> mortal kombat like, not, not just the main theme which is still one of the best main themes ever but like the entire soundtrack is so good like it's like edm techno awesomeness and like i remember i i bought the soundtrack on cd and i would just listen to it non-stop and like if there was if there was ever a time I needed to feel pumped, like I just put the Mortal Kombat soundtrack on because then I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go beat people up and then, or I'm going to beat the crap out of this problem I'm facing down. And it was just like, it was so good. Like I, you know, like I, it, and it was like a, a soundtrack that like got me into like a couple of like artists that I never would have heard otherwise. Like, like KMFDM is on it and shoot, I didn't, Tracy Lords, Ram Factory, like Portals. Ah, oh, I love it. So- <laughs> <laughs> I can tell James is also a fan. I, I, was just I love that about soundtrack. Jezebel, man. <laughs> It's so good. I just love it so much. You know, it kind of reminds me, I'm not cheating because I'm not going to mention this whole soundtrack, but that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Daredevil introduced me to Evanescence. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Evanescence is so good. All right, James, well, what's another soundtrack that uh, you'd talk about? <laughs> oh, man. Honestly, it's it's a newer movie. Um, and a lot of, there were a lot of people who were like, I did not like that movie. I love that movie. Uh, it, Baby Driver. Um, it was yes. one of those movies that, mm. man, it was like the what like the biggest complaint I heard from a lot of people is they're like, I don't know. It was weird the way like he did things to music. And I was like, that's the, the point. <laughs> Um, because that movie is like the director very specifically like that was kind of his thing going into it is he was like I want to make a movie where the actions of this character kind of sit around the music that he listens to so like depending on and everything is based on timing Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is like when they're doing the heist and like something happens where he's like no no wait I have to restart the music and they're like wait what and he's like no I have to restart the music because he's got a song that is specifically timed like the whole song will take exactly the amount of time it needs for them to go in rob this place come out and make the getaway and I was just like it's weird because that would never happen in reality, but at the same time, it's brilliant in terms of directing. Um, Stephen Price is actually the one who uh, helped in doing a lot of that in the composition for that movie, and he's not a known name. Like he's the guy who, uh, like he did like the World's End and Attack the Block. Um, he has a very small list, uh, but he was part of the music crew that uh, worked on all of the Lord of the Rings movies before he ever became his own composer. Um, so that's one of those movies that just the sound soundtrack is phenomenal like i can put on that soundtrack i can listen to that thing just driving around or sitting in my living room any day of the week because all of the musics are uh, all of the musics um it's all like very like classic stuff like it's all music i've heard i grew up with it spans different genres different eras um like the musicality of the movie itself is fantastic so it's just an amazing soundtrack for me i'm so glad you brought that one up like the just the it was like a masterclass in editing, like, you know, like just the way that 
you know, the music was timed everything and then matched so perfectly with the cuts and just the, the way everything was composed and put together. Like it was just so good. Like I, and it was such a good movie. Like I'd say like the last third kind of falls apart for me. Cause it just kind of becomes like a shoot 'em up at the end. But like the first like two thirds of the movie are just like, it's like so stylish and slick and it just, everything fits together so well. Just out of curiosity, have any of you ever tried to, like, create your own soundtrack for something? Not just a playlist to listen to while you're doing stuff. Have you ever tried to create a soundtrack for something? To compose, you mean? Uh, No, 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 no. Like, taking existing music and splicing it together your own way. I've done that for stories that friends have written before. Mm, Yeah, see, like, when I first started being a, a game master, you know, for RPGs... I used to try, it ended up being too much work and I ended up stressing myself out too much, but I tried to do basically that same thing of like, these are the, these are the scenes that I expect to happen and this is the music that's going to flow with it. (laughs) (laughs) And if any, you know, I think, I think most of you have played tabletop role playing um, and you know that, you know, there's no way to like have things be like that set. (laughs) So it ended no. up stressing me out a little too much. Um, <laughs> and a lot of like me like repeating certain tracks over and over until they moved on to the next scene. Um, but, you know, I, I just sort of played with that idea of like, you know, like creating like my own soundtrack to, you know, like a, a role playing game, you know, like a specific session um, and, and stuff like that. And I, I think that that's like a really, I don't know, I found it really fun anyway um, to be able to like try and put together music that evokes you know, the, the sequences and the scenes that you wanted to create. So this is going to sound utterly nerdy, but as a long, long running fan fiction writer, song fix were my favorite. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I still use music heavily in my campaigns, but it's more of creating playlists rather than trying to create a soundtrack anyway. Um, so yeah, Mo, it's time for mine. Um, so there is, one movie that you can see it as two movies or one movie it's really one movie although it was presented as two um that i feel like has just a soundtrack that sort of transcends from just a regular ordinary soundtrack to something that is itself an epic work of art and that is kill bill Ooh. Oh, that was on my list. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, I love the Kill Bill soundtrack so very, very much. Oh yeah. Uh there there are so many like awesome like covers on that. And it's just like even some of like the Japanese music he's inserting in there and everything. I mean it's just I don't know. There's something about that that's just like it's another one where I feel like the soundtrack interacted with the movie in like really great ways of, you know, creating this sort of aesthetic and creating this sort of like 70s callback tone almost also. So it was like the music helped the setting as well as also sort of helping to create the overall aesthetic that he was trying to go with, with the style of the movie and the movie harkering back to like that sort of Kung Fu cinema of the seventies. And 
so many good pieces of music on there. I mean, like, I, I and, you know, people are going to think this one is, like, the most bizarre one. There's this 10-minute long track on that soundtrack of Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood as a cover. <laughs> And it's and it's like this sort of like rock like version of that song and it's for the sword battle between Oren and the bride and oh that music I love it I could listen to it over and over again um battle without honor or humanity is you know one that that a lot of people like um that's um you know like pretty popular you hear it played a lot um but even like, you know, like the Green Hornet theme that they've got in there, the sort of bang, bang, my baby shot me down. You know, there's there's a lot of really good stuff. And just like and that's just like the volume one one, um, you know, it's it, again, I, I feel like the movie is really like, you know, one movie. And Quentin Tarantino says that he, you know, sort of views it as one movie. But, um, you know, I, I love that soundtrack. I think that is so good. And it's, again, it's just like, none of those things are things that I probably would have listened to on their own, but because they're part of the soundtrack for that movie and they were put together so well that it's like, I don't know, it just, it just made them meld together in a way that those songs should not have melded together. (laughs) Well, and it's one of those, like, it's like on my own, I probably never would have went out and tried to find the five, Mm. six, seven, eights, but for whatever reason, (laughs) it's like, it's part of that soundtrack. It's in that movie. And I don't know. I love that song, even though it's just, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you get like good night moon on the second one. And I don't know. It's just so many good, so many good pieces of music. He, he did a good job of like finding, finding people and, and, and getting together with composers to really create, because that movie is such a, a combination. I, I, at least for me of like what, he kind of envisioned of like, he likes the whole spaghetti Western thing. So he was trying to incorporate those themes along with like themes of like kind of what you see in like classic Bruce Lee movies, like that whole era. I get what you're saying. So like the music very much encompasses, like it's a weird mishmash of both of those things that for some reason works in any other normal circumstances. Right. No, I know. I, it's just so bizarre. And just even the fact that a lot of the music are, are their covers, right. You know, of, of existing music and, Again, it's like the covers are the covers make them fit. Whereas if you'd played like the actual original versions, they wouldn't, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I oh man, I, I just love that soundtrack. <laughs> I could listen to it over and over and I do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so now let's go to our shout outs because I don't want this one to take, you know, like five hours. Um <laughs> We'll vary up the order a little bit, though. Um, so, Rachel, you haven't gone first yet. So, what are either some composers or some soundtracks that you feel like you got to say at least a few words about them, you know, or or it's just a travesty? Um, okay, so honorable mentions um, if for composer slash soundtrack. Um, Clint Mansell does a lot of work with Darren Aronofsky, and um, one of my favorite. Darren, Darren Aronofsky movies and also scores by Clint Mansell is The Fountain. Um, and it's like, this is, this kind of looking back on it now, it's kind of cheesy, but I still really, really like it. And the, um, the score for it by Clint Mansell is just so beautiful. It, it uses a crap ton of cello and that is the, the quickest way to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And plus, 
you know, uh, paired with like they the movie had all of these like really beautiful um like space visuals and everything that they did on a shoestring budget um and they they did this by um working with this um this macro photographer who took um basically like high def footage of uh chemical reactions to make these sort of like abstract flowy things that they were able to use as like space scenes and so you know like a really great example of like uh, a limited budget forcing you to be creative with things because they just didn't have the money to do like cg space craziness and so the music paired with these really beautiful visuals is just so like gorgeous and elegant and i'm talking too much on that we're doing shout outs not a whole thing um so <laughs> That's a big one. Um, what else we got? What else I've written here? Um, Juliet mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean. Like the main Pirates of the Caribbean film uh, or theme is just so awesome. Like that, it's just uh, gets you pumped. Um, and then I'm gonna like go wade into the the horror section here. Um, like I like I love love horror movies in general, but like the their um, theme music is just fantastic. And one of my all time favorites is the soundtrack to Candyman, which is what, um, and probably one of my other favorite composers. Um, he doesn't, he does scores, but I also like most of like a lot of his work that's not film scores, but it, uh, his name is Philip Glass. And so like the, the Candyman soundtrack is another one of my all time favorites. And then you've got like the, um, the the score for Halloween when you know the John Carpenter uh, Halloween theme like it's really creepy and awesome and then uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, I will I think I will leave it at that okay um, and James what about you shoutouts oh man um, I'll try to keep it short um, more recently like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, the soundtrack for that I can just listen to over and over and over and I never get sick of it I think there's like one song that I'll skip on there because I'm just like eh, I'm kind of tired of this one but everything else like I can listen to you no problem uh, Black Panther uh, the soundtrack for that movie also another fantastic like the scoring for the film is super well done uh, the soundtrack itself um some of the most prolific um rap that i think is in this current generation um with kendrick lamar like uh it's just fantastic it's super well done uh, guardians of the galaxy one and two um those are soundtracks that outside of the the score like just as soundtracks i love them because it's just an oldies mix <laughs> and i can listen to an oldies mix any day of the week sure. um and it just it, like it takes me like when i listen to those songs and i listen to those soundtracks it just takes me right back on that journey with the guardians uh, you know uh with with any of the intros to the movies uh any just about any james bond movie um i mean there's a handful uh that definitely yeah their intro themes not the greatest um but like uh, mo most recently, I think one of my favorites is uh, uh, Skyfall uh, with Adele, oh where Adele did Skyfall. Oh, it's probably yeah. awesome. hands down one of the best opening themes for a is for a James Bond movie. Um, but uh, in mentioning James Bond, Monty Norman for coming up with the James Bond theme, like it's one of those that like forever and ever will always know what it oh, is. I was about to say, yeah, we have to take a moment to just recognize the fact that that theme is like so good because. Uh, yeah, like everybody knows that James Bond theme, and that's another one that's just like you hear that music and it summons up all kinds of memories. Or if you hear about James Bond, you think about that music. 
Yeah, and then I think last but not least, without getting into his whole thing, because we could go into musicals, and musicals aren't necessarily film, but he has done a few film things, and that's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like, uh, so far with the composition he has done for some things, uh, he's contributed uh, to the Star Wars Force Awakens. Um, he also did the soundtrack, of course, for Moana, um, and helped in some of the writing for Mary Poppins Returns, which by itself is a movie, not one of my favorites, but <laughs> the music is pretty decent. So, yeah, it was just uh, uh, Moana, hands down, probably has one of the one of my favorite Disney uh, soundtracks, both from um, a scoring standpoint as well as just a soundtrack um, musicality standpoint with some of the theme songs within there. Um, one of my favorites being, um, of course, Maui's You're Welcome. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, Juliet, what uh, shout outs would you like to throw out there? Well, for composers, I got I have to mention Bear McCreary who has also mm, composed... I, I was expecting to hear you mention him. Yep. <laughs> I mean, besides doing, you know, Walking Dead and Outlander, uh, Battle the redo of Battlestar Galactica, the 2004 series, is one of my absolute favorites. And the music for that, there are so many epic pieces to it that I just could go on forever. But that man has scored movies, he scored television, he has scored video games, and he is also one of those composers that randomly pulls out strange instruments like look at um, Black Sails. He put out a hurdy-gurdy, an actual hurdy-gurdy for that theme. <laughs> I'm like, how many people are going to do that? That's brilliant. One so, of my favorite games because <laughs> of that soundtrack. See? It's just, he, his music is fun to listen to. Um, you mentioned at the very beginning Danny Elfman. I, I can't, like, not mention him because I remember watching Men in Black in the theater and listening to the opening theme going, that's Beetlejuice. And sure enough. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, and that's why some people make the joke about how you've heard one Danny Elfman theme, you've heard them all. But yeah, I always fall back to that 1989 Batman score because that's the first soundtrack that I ever owned. You know, I was a nine-year-old kid with that Batman soundtrack, and it's 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 amazing. It's so good, and yet he has he's the one that that scored one film that I can't stand his composition for. Now, I admit that the some, many of the Terminator films weren't so great, but Terminator Salvation had the potential to be a decent film. The score was what did it in for me. He, he didn't bring in any elements from the original themes, and I think that that was... He, we, we heard the dun-dun-dun-dun one time. No <laughs> theme from the future, no hope for the future theme, nothing. And I remember looking at the credits going, who scored this piece of crap? You're kidding. Danny Elfman? I, I, I can't listen to it, but at the same time, I heard the score for Terminator Genesis before I saw the movie because I was terrified of my, my one of my favorite franchises being ripped apart again. That score is beautiful. Totally beautiful. The, the, the track John Connor makes me feel hope. But um, trying to think of honorable mentions quickly. Dario Marianelli. If you're not familiar with his name, you have seen V for Vendetta which he scored, and Everest, which is, if you haven't listened to that score and you want to feel pretty epic, that that's a great one to listen to. Um, soundtracks. Hackers. You mentioned Mortal Kombat. I got to mention Hackers for having an amazing soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know half those people existed until that soundtrack, and after that, I was all about the electronica and dance. You name it, I was there. Very cool. Um, but... But yeah, there's just, there's so many I could talk about. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. let me throw in one more. 
um, Trevor Jones. Uh, he is well known for the Labyrinth soundtrack as well, which has some beautiful themes that you just can't forget. I mean, they're very inter you know, interconnected with Bowie, but those just the musical themes, like the, the track where it's uh, Home at Last, which sounds like a music box. It's just a very sad music box is imprinted in my heart. You know, you mentioned Bear McCreary, and I knew you were going to mention <laughs> Bear McCreary. One of the things that I struggled with, though, on Battlestar was that the music to me didn't seem to match, like, the show. Because it sounded very much like, when I hear the music, I summon up, like, visions of, like, fields in Ireland or whatever. Really? You know, and I'm like, this is a spaceship, you know? It's like, he's playing, like, the kind of music that I expect in things where it's like, you know, like, people, you know, going through, like, you know, fields and, you know, there's a lot of, you know bagpipe you know kind of music and stuff like that and i'm just like but it's this this very enclosed you know metal box that everybody's in it just i don't know i can see I just... it one of my favorite tracks though is prelude to war which happens at the end of season two but before season 2.5 i think it is it's in that season break and adama we got the circling camera and adama's on the intercom he's like i'm getting my men back and just that feeling was very battlestar to me yeah, he also does um, Agents of Shield, right? He does. Yeah, and that's the you know that's one where I wouldn't say like all the music is great, but that Agents of Shield theme is very good. I feel like you know the dun 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 dun. dun you know, I like that. But um, yeah, for me, okay. So shout outs. Uh, gotta mention Howard Shore and the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, music. Um, you know. Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings is such a part of my life, and, you know, this music, I mean, the music has to stand on its own as something that I would listen to while reading the books, as well as for the movies, and I think that it does. I think that he did a really great job. You know, there's the Bridge of Khazad-dûm is another one where I'm just kind of like, oh, so good, so epic. Um, but there's just so much good music in there, and he's able to tailor it. One of the genius things that I think that Shore does is that he creates musical themes for both characters and groups and so like as different characters like join a group or disappear from a group like the music of that character gets intertwined with the group and it's just a really cool like you know thing that he does of just like that much thought going into it of the fact that you know as the fellowship comes together it's like all the music of the individual members and then they break apart and you know you've got Aragorn when he's in Rohan and suddenly Aragorn's music is in with the Rohan theme and just like the different instruments that he chooses to like symbolize each character as they're doing it it's just really well thought out and and I really love that um uh, another uh, movie that I got to talk about. It's a movie that wasn't very popular. <laughs> People hated it, but the soundtrack is fantastic, and that's Tron Legacy. Um, <laughs> Daft Punk did the did the music for that, and oh, that is another just really good soundtrack. Um, can't fault the I can fault the movie. I can't fault the soundtrack at all. Um, uh, got to talk about Highlander, the original. Um, yeah, I realize it's Queen. <laughs> <laughs> don't diss my queen i realize it's just really a queen album that's been dressed up as a movie soundtrack but i don't care because it's great <laughs> i remember being like i don't know must have been like 11 or 12 or something watching highlander and on tv and 
having like the uh you know like the wants to live forever you know and having that song and just feeling like so moved by it you know like just the the sadness of this guy who just has to watch everyone around him die all the time and just keeps on going you know through it and it's just it's just really powerful sort of emotional you know like like part of that of that movie and yeah everybody loves princes of the universe of course it's fantastic it's lovely but you know i i think that who wants to live forever is also a really tremendous song that's part of that but everything's good the kurgan theme is good everything's good it's so fitting for you know when it gets played and it's it's a great one um another one i'm gonna bring up just because of its personal influence to me i'm not sure other people might think it's so great but it's can't hardly wait um which that move that movie came out at the right time because it was the summer after I graduated from high school. So it was the perfect movie, um, you know, to watch the summer, you know, as I graduated from high school. And again, just love that. The, the just love the soundtrack of that music, you know, for each character. They had their own like theme as their, you know, like their bio pops up on the screen as they, you know, go into the movie. And... Again, it's all the music that was, you know, stuff that I was familiar with just because of, you know, just being a teenager at that time. And it's just like it felt like the music was perfect for the characters and it was this huge nostalgia trip for me. And so I really, really love that uh, that soundtrack. Um, but uh, but yeah, I realize that's probably not like anything anyone else would think is so exceptional. It's just for me, that was perfect timing, um, you know, for that uh, soundtrack. So... Yeah, I think that's all I'm going to shout out about right now, but uh, I think I think we could all go on this road for quite a while more because there's just so many good movies, you know, movies with good soundtracks and so many awesome composers, you know, working on movies and, you know, it's 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 something that I don't know. I don't hear a lot of people talk about it all that often. People talk well, about if they love movies, but they don't talk about the music. I gotta ask you guys a question. Sure. Do any of you guys take advantage of the special feature on many a movie and DVD of the isolated score track? I usually do not. It makes movies... Am- like, I've done it for Beetlejuice and Alien are two of my favorites. Alien and Beetlejuice both become much more frightening when you have no sp- sound effects, you have no dialogue, and there's long periods of silence but especially alien you want a true feeling of horror just put on the isolated score track where it's <laughs> just the movie score Ooh. yeah because i've always felt like if i want to listen to the score i can just get the soundtrack and so i've never thought of just like watching the movie with just the score and nothing else oh yeah beetlejuice becomes a truly terrifying movie when it's just the score <laughs> and the visual i don't know why but it really is <laughs> oh, that makes sense oh that's that's cool yeah. Well, and I think like for me when I like when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate like the score of a of of a movie. Like I didn't know what like the appreciation of a score of a movie was. I mean, one of the composers uh, I talked about, he did a goofy movie. And like and it's weird to think about now cuz it's like I loved the soundtrack of a Goofy movie when I was a kid. I was like, this is like the best. Um, And then like as an adult, I'm like, okay, it's not the best, but it's definitely entertaining. 
And so it's just like, I, I don't think, like you said, I think there's not a lot of people who um, are necessarily like teaching their kids how to appreciate music or, and I think any of us who have come from any kind of musical background, especially it's like I did band and choir and choral ensemble um, through all of my high school career, even slightly into my college years. And so it's just like, I've always had an appreciation for music. Like I like singing. And so uh, and I think where in my later years now where I've really come to really recognize movie soundtracks, and it's like one of the things I always comment on, like me and a buddy of mine will go to a movie and we'll like talk about the movie. And I'll be like that soundtrack, right? Like was, <laughs> wasn't that great? And he's just like, yeah, the soundtrack was great. Um, Jared Leto was the worst, but the soundtrack was all right. Um, <laughs> so it's things like that where it's just like, at least we find something to salvage in the music of a movie. If, if it's a movie that wasn't particularly great or it's a movie that really, yeah, like truly it was like, and I don't think a lot of people probably realize like, no, it was the soundtrack that made that movie. Like, like the matrix is one of those movies that if I had to watch that movie with no like scoring, It'd probably be a really boring movie. <laughs> like it wouldn't be all that engaging. Yeah, no. Like I've seen the, I've done the opposite, or just on part of DVD extras when they show scenes without, you know, the background music or whatever. So like, kind of the opposite of what Juliet was talking about. Whenever you see like scenes from a movie raw. You know, with no sounds or anything, like, suddenly it's, like, something that could have been the most moving thing that you ever, you know, saw becomes, like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's interesting to think about where it's just, like, as a composer, like, that's their job is to, like, basically sit there and watch a movie with no music and go... Okay, how do I make this interesting? <laughs> right. Well, it's not only that, though. It's like, how do I enhance the story? You know, like, am I enhancing the emotions? Am I enhancing the storytelling? And, you know, we talked about different movies doing it differently, which is why the director is going to be, you know, part of that collaboration also. But it's like, you know, the music sometimes has different functions within the movie and you know like exactly like what it is doing to enhance that movie. it's not just like how do i make it more interesting it's you know sometimes it's a storytelling function sometimes it's a uh, just how do i make the emotional punch resonate more you know for the scene and stuff like that and that's where you get the talent of the composer and you've got like how well they can collaborate with the director to create something that's a you know, that's a game-changing, you know, kind of score. Yeah. You know, as opposed to just, like, you know, because, like, you know, there are movies where I'm looking at some of these composers and I'm like, yeah, I like that movie, but, you know, the score doesn't have anything super memorable for me. Like, you know, you know, it, it was competent, you know, but it wasn't anything exceptional. It's the exceptional scores. You know, it's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah. Along that line, uh, I didn't, I'm a huge fan of the Harry Potter books. I couldn't stand the movies up until I went to go see the last one. And there is the score. Uh, there's that moment when Snape is standing silhouetted in the window looking out over the Hogwarts courtyard. And the, the musical cue is called Lily's Theme. And it's a woman's voice just singing softly. And that moment, I was hooked back into the Harry Potter world. And I went back and rewatched all of the movies after that because of that one piece of music. Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and I think something that provides an interesting insight is actually a movie that does this, and it's uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, because, like, the main character is a composer. <laughs> and so it's the whole, like, he uh, he produces music for a very dramatic TV series. And so, like, and they kind of show – they give you – a little bit of insight into that world just in the movie where it's just like, okay, he's watching the scene and he sees how it's dramatic. And then he goes, okay, so let's try this and tries like this very dramatic theme. And like his sound guy's like, yeah, that sounds really great actually. And he's just like, all right, perfect. And then it's like, you see something, you see the juxtaposition of that where after he's broken up with Sarah, he's trying to do the work. And so he's in there and he's like, he watches the scene. And he's like, all right. I think I got something. And he just plays like the Seinfeld theme. So it's just like, (laughs) and the guy's just like, come on, man. I've, I've got, I've got two hours before I get to go to this show. Like I want to get out of here today. Can, can you take this seriously? (laughs) And so, but it was just like that moment when I think about it forever, when I think about any music, I'm like, that is the difference. It's just like if he if if legitimately you were doing a drama series and you threw in a, the Seinfeld theme in there, it wouldn't fit. And you'd be like, right. God, this is just a garbage show. Why am I watching this right now? It's it's such an important part of the movie to have, you know, the soundtrack where like Juliet was talking about movies that she didn't like. It only works because of the soundtrack, you know, and uh, it's just it's interesting to me to sort of think about like what if like some of these things like Willow, like what if Willow had hadn't had James Horner on it, you know, um, you know, would John Williams have been as good for Willow? Would Joe Schmo have been as good for Willow? Would, would I have not liked the movie, you know, if somebody, you know, like an unknown did it and stuff like that. And it just, you know, sometimes think about that because of the fact that just the music is so important, uh, to the movies and, you know, getting it right as far as, you know, how it resonates. And again, back to Scorsese, the emotional resonance, <laughs> <laughs> Psychology of human beings. <laughs> so, anyway. All right. Y'all have seen the documentary score, right? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. Um, hop online, hunt it down. It's worth watching if you like movie scores at all. It's really okay. worth watching. I've seen individual, like, extras on DVDs about the composition of a particular movie. Like, there was one for Lord of the Rings. They had, like, a whole extra about the, you know, the scoring of the, the trilogy and everything. And, you know, I've seen things about John Williams doing Star Wars before and stuff like that. But, no, I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen that documentary. Trust me on it. All right. No, that's, sounds, uh, sounds like a plan. But, um, all right. Uh, I think that we've talked uh, about as long as we can on this subject for now. Uh, I got to get going, but um, let's say our goodbyes and let people know uh, where they can find us online. So let's start with you, Juliet. Okay, well, it's been awesome talking to you guys. Um, everybody can find me on Instagram. Uh, my username on there is RumiElf, R-U-M-I-E-L-F. Or you can find me on Twitter as the underscore visible underscore elf. And that's because I have a public one and not just a private one. But drop me a message anywhere. I'm happy to talk talk geek and I will talk about music, movie scores from here until kingdom come. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someday we ought to compare like soundtracks. Um, James, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Oh, man, people can find me just about everywhere. Uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, 
Instagram. I'm on all of them as Roman on the rocks um, because I cleverly am nicknamed Roman and I like to drink. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> in case that's not relevant. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, you can find me on any of those places. Just the same. Uh, I uh, really, really uh, as much as I'm into like movie soundtracks, man, video game soundtracks. Anybody ever wants to talk about those too? Like, hit me up on any of those. I'll talk about it all day long. Um, but yeah, uh, hit me up with any of that kind of stuff, and uh, hopefully um, some more podcasting coming soon, and uh, maybe even some video stuff. Uh, I'm trying to learn video editing, so look out for that. Yeah, you know, like I'm a I'm a fan of retro gaming, and there have been so many good like covers done of like classic like video game music and stuff and yeah i'm all about that but don't get me started i'll carry this on further (laughs) right (laughs) all right so uh, rachel why don't you say goodbye let people know where they can find you um, yeah i i had a a great time i james i'm totally there with you on video game soundtracks in fact i could probably talk (laughs) longer about video game soundtracks than I could about film scores because like those are where most of my obsessions are um so uh I don't do a ton of social media but you can find me on Instagram uh the username is blue sheep b-l-u sheep um and then I finally got off of my butt and put up a portfolio website for my graphic design stuff um so you can just find that at rachelalexander.com that's r-a-c-h-e-l-e Alexander, like Alexander the Great, dot com. Yeah, you gotta have to just have to throw that extra e in there just to make it confusing. Yeah, you know, I, I it, you know, the the versions without it just are incomplete. That's just <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, so, uh, Rachel, James, Juliet, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. for having us. And that's a wrap on our Soundtracks episode. We hope that you enjoyed it, and you can let us know if you did in a variety of ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can also go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also tweet to us at at 42cast. You can also um, send us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes, or you can go to our website at 42cast.com and leave us a message there. So all sorts of methods, all sorts of ways to let us know if you like this episode, if you'd like another music-themed episode, whether another one about soundtracks or something else. Did you like the guests on this episode? Would you like to hear more of certain people? You know, let us know anything about it. Um, thank you know, I've gotten several emails lately uh, from various people, but I would love to get more. I'd love to see more feedback, either on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher Radio, or you know, even on the website or Facebook page, tweeting to us, whatever. Uh, but yeah, email is the thing I really like because usually emails tend to be a little bit longer and a little more involved, and it gives me a little more to work with as far as the feedback is concerned. So I. I've heard people say before, like, oh, just give us five stars, five stars, five stars on, like, the Apple podcast where you do one out of five star rating. And it's like, that doesn't help me. You know, I mean, it it helps me if you feel that way. But it doesn't help me if you just, like, do that because you're like, oh, I listen to the podcast. Give them five. If you feel like it's four, then give me four. But then, you know, explain why you gave four. You know, I also don't want just a rating without any kind of an explanation to let me know. I'd love to know why people give the ratings that they give. Love to improve the show. 
Um, but uh, yeah, emails, whatever. Uh, also, I want everyone to know about the ESO Patreon. It's a way to help us out, help all the shows on the network. Uh, you can donate at patreon.com slash ESO network. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a way, if you have the availability to give a little bit of financial help, um, that helps all the shows on the network and you get access to exclusive episodes. There is tier ratings there. You can look all that up at the website. So, uh, check that out. And that's the end of this episode, but join us back next week when... Elliot Chapman will be joining us. Yes, I get to do another interview with another Doctor Who actor. In this case, it's Elliot Chapman, who plays Ben Jackson at Big Finish, uh, the role that Michael Craze had played on the television show, but sadly can no longer play because he passed away in the 90s. And so, yeah, Elliot sat down with me. We were able to talk about his career in general, working at Big Finish, uh, the character of Ben Jackson, and how he's approached him, and all sorts of different things. Things like that. So if you are a Doctor Who fan, uh, come check that out. So now it's truly time to wrap things up. So until next time, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2020 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.